When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's it, everybody. We are back, and this is the HTML All The Things Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be sitting down with a guy who had a very unique developer journey. I'll give you a hint. He is in developer relations at daily.dev. He is absolutely blowing up on YouTube right now. He is also a Docker captain, and he's an international public speaker. If you don't know who I'm already talking about, you probably already do, though. It is, of course, Francesco. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon. Leave a review or rating on your podcast app. Join us in our Discord server or share this with your friends. And remember, we also have a Scrimba affiliate link that will be in the show description and the show notes if you want to learn with a media player code editor that's interactive. Go in, mess with what the instructor is showing you, break it, try it, test it, whatever. Go check that out. And without further ado, I'm going to let Francesco take it away as I cut to this interview because this developer journey is just crazy and awesome. And let's just go to it right now. All right, everybody, we have Francesco on the line here. But before we jump into this loaded episode, Francesco, what's up? What's going on? What have you been working on and how's it going? Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here as a guest. It's 9 p.m. It has been a long day. Usually I almost in bed at this time, but I want to go the extra mile to record this episode. It's going well. Thank you so much. A great start of 2024. And I'm super happy and uh, really honored to be here. Thank you. Awesome, Francesco. So happy that you you made it on the show. Uh, I think I was on your show a couple years ago now. It's been a while. Uh, and yeah, finally got you on the show. So I'm happy about that. And I just, you have such a unique journey that I've always wanted to tell your story, but I wanted it to come from you, obviously. And uh, I think it'll help a lot of people. Every developer's journey is going to be unique. And I think that's a really key factor. And I want as many people on the show to like hear as many weird paths that people can take. Uh, yours is really cool. So I kind of want to give it to, in, to you to be like, to take us through your, you know, your journey. Like how did you get into coding uh, and then what happened after? And I'll kind of throw in some questions as we go. Yeah, sure. So if we had like four hours, I will start saying like, hey, I started with a Commodore 64 is true, then a 486. Uh, but let, let's let do, let's do a bit faster, I would say. Yes, I'm also revealing my age in this, uh, this uh, way. I always loved the computers, but I've not been uh, like a programmer for long professionally, I would say. Now we're getting close to 10 years. But the truth is that before doing this professionally, I did a couple of websites, but my my life was absolutely different. I I worked in sports. I've been a volleyball coach for almost 20 years. So something a bit different rather than sitting on a chair and coding, I would say. And when I switched to tech, I thought that I was one of the few people switching to tech after joining tech and after joining Twitter and starting doing a, an interview series. I understood that like 90, 95% of the people are 
career switchers as me. So this made me feel a bit, say, a bit less alone, but I didn't know that there were so many career switchers in tech. But uh, I have, just for the context, uh, I have a CS degree, nobody cares, but this is also related to some fact about me getting into coding. So yeah, we can say that basically at some point I decided that I really wanted to start coding. I can even go more in details if you want. Yeah, actually, like uh, the CS degree is actually an, in an interesting one. Uh, did you get the computer degree before uh, you went into volleyball coaching or did you get it after? Like, what was the timeline there? Yeah, so after. So after, basically, I decided to to quit my job as a volleyball coach. Also, some people <laughs> cried about this decision. But uh, no, I decided basically to, to switch and getting my tech journey seriously. I didn't know that you can actually get a job without a CS degree because I was not active on social media. So I said, okay, this normal path is that you study, you get a degree, and then you get a job. This was my path. Also, literally, there is this culture that you need a degree, otherwise uh, you are a failure for society. It's a cultural thing. So I thought that was the normal path, I would say. So that's uh, that was my, my thing. The fun fact is that, uh, and now you will laugh probably, I... I did the CS degree, but I hated coding. So I think I was doing all the math exams, algorithm exams, physics, chemistry exam, and not the programming ones, because that's the truth. I didn't like coding until one professor, after an exam that I passed, told me like, Francesco, you're okay with theory, but you you will never be a programmer because your coding is, is not good enough. He was right, but this triggered me so much it was 2015. I remember that I came back home. I said, now I want to learn coding, like intentionally. Like so I said, like, I want to really start getting real, getting this for real. And I needed something not too boring. So I started to look for like, okay, how can I learn how to code without, I don't know, falling asleep? And I start with probably the worst possible decision that you can ever make as a beginner programmer. So starting with game development, the Unity 3D C Sharp is probably one of the most advanced stuff. I didn't know that you can start in a way, a simpler way. But this made me like a real boost because also I've been also a, a gamer. I, I was that close to become a, a World of Warcraft a professional gamer when I was 20. And uh, so... I always loved the PC games and uh, all this stuff, but I never thought that, like uh, you can actually code this stuff. So this is, of course, I coded a bit before, but I consider 2015 like a real switch uh, to tech, uh, coding like 10, 12 hours a day and uh, and doing a lot of stuff uh, and uh, and also learning about Docker in 2016. So, but we'll get more into this, but this is how, when I consider my, real career switch so it has been almost uh, 10 years i'm interested like so you you went you got your degree after the after coaching after being a successful volleyball coach and then was it the first job that you got in the, at the european space agency or was that like uh is there was there a ramp up period or you yes. just like hey i'm just gonna yes. apply to this and get that job the yes so i want i want to tell you this because some people the people who know me I, they know that i got uh a role as a full stack developer for the European Space Agency. Finally, in this podcast, I have like three minutes to, to tell the, the whole story. So this will be also this podcast. I'm honored. So I was doing the CS degree, and one of the one of the professors uh, sent me an email. I still remember this. It was 2017. I was still I was still closing my my CS degree, 
he sent me like, Francesco, would you like to work for the European Space Agency? And I thought it was a joke. Like was this, this, this professor was also always funny, always was to joke. So I thought it was a joke, a bait. I said, okay, <laughs> I replied like without a laugh because we were like, uh, he said, no, 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 for real. Like they are looking for full stack developers. Uh, and I said, no, 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 this was not, uh, it's not possible. But I mean, you mean, you so, um, you know, when something is so absurd, you say, okay, yes, let's do it. Like it's so, doesn't make sense. So let's just do it. For context, three months earlier, I had another opportunity as a job. It was an unpaid internship and I failed that interview. So this was what happened three months earlier. Long story short, I went to this, um, uh interview and you know when you are absolutely relaxed because you know that you will never get this like i was zero anxiety because say okay this is uh, not gonna happen i'm just gonna have a good nice trip i'm just the truth is that after less than a week i was working there saying like what the heck is what is is happening here and i was basically working working there and uh, this is the story that uh how i got my first role in tech this is also an opportunity to tell you that if you get rejected for a job, it can be the, I think it has been one of the luckiest days in my whole tech career, because if I had an unpaid internship three months earlier, my path would have been different. And so this is the truth. Like this was my first role. And uh, yeah, and then uh, I worked there for almost three years. Last time that I went to the office, it was March, 2020. And we know what happened in March 2020 for, for future generations. Uh, it was a COVID lockdown. Basically, we started working from home. And I was doing a 100 kilometers commute every single day, five uh, times a week. So basically, going to work, it was a part-time job. <laughs> and uh, yes, and now I feel so privileged, of course. But uh, this is how I get my first... Uh, role in tech so yes you can get a role even without social media <laughs> my job my my life on social media started after let's say getting this role and been working there for many years i think the lesson here there's a few lessons because first of all amazing path like going from there right to the european space agency it's such an interesting journey but without first of all without your degree Obviously, the degree is not a direct path to work, but I, I feel like you had the mindset of like, I'm doing this because I want a job. So you probably interacted with your professors quite honestly, quite often. And that connection that you made with a professor is ultimately what got you the foot in the door. And I think a lot of people going through traditional education don't take advantage of that. And like, it's okay. Like, you know, self-taught journey. Great. There's plenty of paths you can take there. That's great. But when you do dedicate yourself to the traditional quote unquote traditional path you should take advantage of it as much as you can because first of all it's expensive it's time consuming and if you don't build your network while you're in school then i would say like you're almost wasting your time while you're there like obviously you're learning fundamental skills but it's so convenient to have industry professionals around you you kind of lose that um when you're out of it you don't understand what you've lost and I had that a little bit, I had a little bit of that experience. Like I did keep, keep in touch with some professors, but I wish I participated more in like internal hackathons for school. I wish I interacted more with my professors because as soon as you're out, you're like, oh wait, I don't have access to these industry professionals anymore. What am I supposed to do now? So it's a, it's a really good lesson, I think, for people. 
Yes, uh, just just to close the, the the circle, the professor recommended me uh, for the PSP agency. Was also the professor of my of my thesis, so I was also the professor who was following me for my thesis. And also, I want to say, see, this is super fast. Uh, this professor was very busy. So at the beginning of his course, he said, "If anybody wants to give thesis with me, they should say it now because I'll be busy during the whole course." I remember me raising my hand. I was the only, the first person who raised the, their hand, and like five people raised their hand after me. And the professor told me, "Like, okay, Francesco, you raise your hand first. Come and let's see if we can do it." So this was, a re I think, one of the most important moments of my life, of course, professionally speaking, because. Uh, when you start taking actions for real, I was also super shy. I was not the Francesco that you see now. I was very shy, but my my intention even to finish the ACS degree, getting a role in tech, it was so strong that I found you know the courage to like you know raise your hand for first, like when you raise your hand for first in a Twitter space multiplied one thousand times, and it worked. So there are sometimes some small actions then really change your life and the direction of your whole life. And this gives me some creeps sometimes, but sometimes the real actions can bring uh, like uh, great results. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, so the next step, right? So you, you, you had this job for three years uh, at the European Space Agency. During that, I'm assuming you had some experience with Docker at that time uh, and you, you built your kind of Docker knowledge so there's kind of two paths that you took. One is the Docker captain path and one is the uh, developer content path, right? And I think I think they were combined, like were they together? I just, I'm curious your thoughts on like how you transitioned from just, you know, 100 kilometers a day, day job uh, to then start all of a sudden being a Docker captain and content creator for developers. Yes, I'll try to make things uh, clear. By the way, for again, again for context, both of my parents are teachers. So in my family, teaching and education has always been put uh, at the top of the values of the priorities of the things. So it's also one of the reasons why you know, getting a degree was so important, not just for me, but even for my parents. And also, I want to say that I've been, as I said, a volleyball coach for almost 20 years. I was also doing like uh, math, physics, and chemistry lessons. Uh, as I say, the family of teachers. So teaching has been my my life until I became uh, this full stack developer for the space agency. And I remember this clearly. It was 2017. I I told myself, uh, is this the end of my teaching journey? I really felt uh, a bit bad because it's also like, okay, so maybe this is a cycle that closed. It's it's closing. So I will never teach to someone anymore like I, I felt i felt a bit sad a bit uh, lonely i will say alone and um, but i hated social media this was 2017 i hated social media when in 2020 i started become more active on social media in february 2020 i shared my first article ever on social media this got uh, 19 views in the first month so it was an absolute flop this article because i didn't have a, a strong social media presence of course the article was super good about unity 3d uh, but i remember clearly that i felt again the vibes of being a teacher so it was not for money it was not to, to sell us, us it was for pure teaching i felt okay so now i can use a platform whatever I'm not, I was not even thinking about making videos. It was so, so shy in February 2020. But I said, okay, I can teach again to someone. So I really liked that so much 
And I remember clearly that in March 2020, it was the 5th of March 2020, I made a good tweet. It was about exactly this story of like getting rejected for uh, for this uh, uh, unpaid internship. It was not. It was for not remembering SQL commands. I still can't remember them. And now I was working in the European Space Agency, and I made a good tweet with some thousands of likes. I said, "Okay, nice, cool. I want to take this social media a bit more seriously. Let's see how it goes." And after three days, we had the lockdown. So I started having like two or three hours per day all the weekends free. So I was basically bored at home. Also, we had a very strong uh, lockdown in Italy. I don't know how many of you remember. So we had really, I, I, I could, couldn't even go to the grocery store, just to give a, an idea. It was almost war conditions. And But I started, some people dedicated their time to learn how to make bread at home. I dedicated my time to stay on Twitter, staying super active on Twitter, way more than what I am now. So this is how I started being active on social media for real. Also started working more, being less shy, trying to put some pictures in the groups, so not even on Twitter. Um, in, at the beginning, I had uh, a profile picture with sunglasses because I was too shy to show my face. Some people even told me, like, Francesco, are you blind? Because I had like a profile picture with sunglasses, just to give an idea. I always loved the Docker. It was since 2015. But the Docker captain story is something that happened later. So just to try to give the whole timeline, in March 2020, after everything happened, I said, okay, if everything goes well, in one year, I want to quit this job. The reason it was that uh, I decided to say, okay, I want to take a decision in my life when I want to do something more in public, more on social media. European specificity is the opposite. Every repository is private. You can't share anything you, you do there. If you want to do something, you need uh, someone uh, like someone uh, sign. So it's super hard. Even if you want to update an MP the NPM version, it's it's a mess. It's uh, it's a nightmare. And so I decided in March 2020, okay, you want to hear? I want to quit a job here. Six in in August 2020, I published my first video on YouTube. March 2021, I quit my job for the European Space Agency, disappointing my parents and uh, other relatives, because you know in Italy there is this uh, culture of like. Uh, having your uh, full-time role, whatever is the salary, if you have a full-time role, you are set for your life. But I said, no, it's maybe, I saw some potential on social media. And uh, and then I became a Docker captain later. It was June 2021. So after quitting the, the job, and, and, and I also want to say that uh, the day after becoming a Docker captain, I got an offer for a DevRel position. Is it, a, is it a coincidence? Is it not? We never know, but uh, maybe it was not. It's such an interesting like process. And I, I, I do want to actually hone in on two things. One thing, uh, the Docker captain part, we're going to talk a little bit about that just in the next segment or shortly. We're, we want to kind of give an overview of what Docker is and stuff like that. And there's no one better to ask than a Docker captain. Uh, so I'm going to definitely take advantage of your time there, Francesco. But before that, uh, the DevRel position. So again, you went from, you know, volleyball coach developer at the European Space Agency to then creating some content. And then you transitioned to a DevRel position, which I think you've held for quite some time now successfully, uh, plus doing everything else that you're doing on the side, which is like YouTube videos nonstop and content and all that and and being a Docker captain. So like, I just want to get your thoughts on that transition from developer to developer advocate, because I know a lot of people that I've talked to struggle with that. 
Um, so it's essentially, and just for everyone on the audience, a developer advocate is uh, someone that teaches other developers about a specific tech stack. Like maybe if you're working for a, for a company that has some sort of technology, it's your job to probably you know, help with the documentation, maybe talk about it on social media to help people come into your technology. So if you're a Vercel developer advocate, use Vercel, how to onboard people, help them onboard, write the proper projects for people to kind of the starter projects for people to jump in. Um, there's a million different hats that you wear as a developer advocate on top of being the developer. So it's just, it's a, it's a very hectic position depending on the role that you get. It's very wide on what you're supposed to be doing. It's hardly ever narrow. So it's difficult for people to transition from developer to developer advocate. So it, it it's interesting talking to a successful developer advocate. That's why I kind of wanted to speak to you on that part. First of all, thank you so much for the successful developer advocate. I've been doing this for a while. You know, I, I, I want to believe that working in sports as a volleyball coach for 20 years, working in contact with people in real life uh, um, helped me in this. So I've always worked with people. My only problem, it was just uh, making things in front of the camera, but I've been working in like with, with people, like hundreds of people. I was in, in a stadium with thousands of people cheering. It was different than a conference, but uh, I feel more comfortable like in a, in a conference uh, than, than how I was like maybe just staring uh, in front of a camera because I was not used to do live streams or videos. But uh, I want to believe that my previous experience helped me a lot because I always worked with people, teaching, speaking with them, uh, understanding their needs. Uh, of course, it's different. Now I work for Daily Dev. We talk about uh, the, how cool it is. Uh, I, can, I can make a whole episode about this. But... Uh, I think that that's the, the reason. I think that some developers, uh, maybe they start their, their career as a developers, they're not focused so much uh, on the communication skills. Uh, and so they find this uh, a bit hard uh, to communicate with people. For me, it's just the media. It's just the, the, the web and a bit, of course, the language. By the way, of course, I'm not a mother tongue. I'm not a non-native speaker, as you probably imagine. imagine. Um, and that's the thing. So... Your previous experiences can really help you a lot in a, in a developer relations uh, career. And I love I love the Vrel. Of course, you need to choose the right company. Otherwise, you are in what I call I call it I create this this term Devra Hell. So basically, advocating for a company you don't like, worst possible things because you can code for a company you hate. I don't know a bank, an insurance company. Advocating for a company you don't like because you put your face. I mean, we are just audio here, but you put your face, your voice. It's very hard. I, I have some friends, I'm not making names, but I have some friends who have been really struggling in advocating for a company you don't believe. It's like, uh, it's basically like living a nightmare. So in that case, probably you should even switch company, change role or something like that. In my case, I feel... I, I, really, I feel that I choose a great company. I, this is not my first company. I switched a um, couple of uh, months later after the the, the the Docker captain offer. And um, and yes, so yeah, so that's that's it. And uh, I think that uh, developer relations, you need to understand what does it take. It 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 takes uh, to wear many hats, understanding the company, understanding the needs, uh, being very communicative. Uh, doing a lot of uh, things that uh, like uh, conferences uh, being working with public uh, it's not for everyone 
I love it because, for example, uh, some I know I have some friends who they don't like developer relations because I say no, I want to code more. For me, it's absolutely fine. I'll code during the weekends. I do it live streams about Rust and Docker during the weekends. It's absolutely fine. I don't feel this like urge of being paid for the code I write. I can code whatever I want uh, during the weekends. So for me, it's absolutely fine. But maybe it's not for everyone. Do you think that it's a role that people should shoot for? Or because you you obviously had the the full stack role at the space agency. Do you think that you you needed that that role and be developing for a few years before you did any advocacy or any DevRel stuff? Or what do you think on that? Yes, so I made a video on this so I can prepare the, because I have a series on uh, on the DevRel things. So short answer, like monosyllabic answer is uh, no, you don't need a uh, um, technical role as a background, especially if you have something like community building. There are some specific roles in DevRel that maybe you don't need a technical background. Now, this was the short answer. The longer answer is that having a technical background can help you a lot. Because, for example, now when I go, when I need to speak in details about what is the tech stack of the Redev, what we do here, even the, just the jargon, I think that it helps me a lot. I have a couple of examples of friends who are in developer relations, but they don't have a technical background. But uh, I think that, it is, okay, so first of all, it's not the normal evolution, like a Pokemon evolution, that after a developer, you become a developer advocate. Some people think that it's like uh, this uh, straight, no, you can be, I think, the, the normal path is to be developer, developer engineer, I don't know, team lead or something. That, that's a normal path. Developer relations is more for people who are, they start as developers probably, and then they are more attracted, let's say, on the social media, the conferences, the interactions, the content creation side, and so on. So uh, the short answer is not, but it can, it, I think that for some roles, uh, they really help unless you have, you join a company that says, hey, we don't need you to be an expert, but uh, I don't know. In six months, you want we want you to know the tech stack because the problem is that when you join a company, uh, probably the company expects that you will talk with other developers. So the best the best way to speak with developers is to be a developer. So if I'm speaking with someone, if I if I'm not a developer and I do I don't know other public relations or I don't know uh, some other thing, I don't know makeup artist. If I don't know any uh, like the things, how can I engage on an organic conversation? I will be just marketing at that point. I can advocate for my product, but if sometimes I speak about something which is not related to daily dev, I don't know, the new JavaScript frameworks, even if we don't use it at daily dev, because Rust is an example. I'm learning Rust, the programming language. We don't use Rust at daily dev, but I can speak with other developers, uh, you know, the new shiny things. Uh, Web3 and blockchain, things that maybe has nothing to do with Dev, but I still engage with developers just to have a organic conversation. And this helps me, of course, that to uh, gain trust, but in a organic way. I hope that was uh, good. Absolutely, because you're not so, sort of siloed or sheltered in your, in your conversation topics, because for sure it'll go into... You know, something else. I mean, talking about anything, gaming or whatever, someone will be talking about one game, they'll go into another game, talk about one coding language, they'll talk, go to another one. And then you're just like, oh, sorry, I only know this one thing. So absolutely having sort of a sort of a wide net it would, would really help with that type of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I would like, I would love even to speak about games or something, new things. It's uh, 
I think that being a developer is also being curious about the new things, uh, no matter the company they're working for. And then I, I decided to work here because I really trust in the lead dev and they, their future and what they want to do. This, of course, uh, doesn't block me to release hundreds of videos on YouTube on web development or Docker or other stuff. But just to make things clear, the Docker captain role is an unpaid role. Some people think it's not, but it's an ambassador role. Let me brag uh, 10 seconds. I won, I've been in Los Angeles uh, four months ago for the DockerCon, and I won the prize as the uh, most consistent Docker captain in the world. So uh, really proud of this. Also the only Docker captain in Italy. So I made mean, my nation proud. And that, that's something that it's, uh, it's great. But for example, it's not related 100% to the dev. We use Docker the dev. But uh, it's something else that I was doing. And uh, just to make things clear, otherwise you think that the the real is uh, Docker Captain. That's something else. And uh, yes, it's uh, something that uh, it's related probably to the fact that I'm creating content. Also, I want to say uh, super fast that uh, I, I made an interview series on YouTube and I invited in January the, act, the actual SEO of Daily Dev. And after eight months, they offered me a job as a DevRel. But I was still working for the European Space Agency when I made the interview with the CEO of DeliDev. Uh, it's, it, and now it's funny, of course, but uh, this proves, for example, that if you do interviews like you do, or you try to expand and create connections, you never know the new opportunities. And uh, and yes, so this is a, a something that... Uh, always remind me this that this is can really be game changing like this engaging but it was not planned uh, of course it was something that uh, it was great yeah that would be some intense 4d chess if that was planned (laughs) 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 for sure uh understand that whole connection thing where like you just you just try to put yourself out there as much as you can in whatever ways that you think you can do it to support your life or your own interests and that's really all that you need to do at least uh, from a perspective of networking, you need to put yourself out there. You can't sit on your own and and just like code without talking to anyone and never reach out to any communities and hope that applying to 500 jobs will get you there. You might get lucky, you might get in, uh, but it's going to be a, a real big slog in this day and age. Like you, you need to put, you need to take an extra step, and that step can be many, many different things. It doesn't have to be create a podcast. It can be if you're interested in it. It doesn't have to be create a YouTube channel, but blogging. So uh, Discord communities, social media, just put yourself out there a little bit and it'll open up some opportunities for you as proven by Francesco here for sure. Uh, and also shout out to daily.dev. I've been, uh, they've been my new tab page for like three years now. I don't know. It's, it's been, it's, it's been a long time. That's kind of, kind of how I catch up on developer news. But with that being said, I think let's move on to the next section here, uh, which is the Docker captain. Again, it would be, I think it, it would be a waste to not get your perspective on Docker, to not at least get your understanding of like explaining what Docker is to, to the junior developers out there, to the people that are just getting into the industry and also the people that are maybe in industry for a while that just haven't heard of this or haven't been able to like grasp it fully. So I want to pass it off to you again, one of the best Docker captains in the world. Uh, what is Docker and what problems does it solve? Thank you so much, Mike. Uh, and I'll try to keep it short because otherwise I'll just uh, make this episode uh, six hours long. So I'll try to hold myself. Uh, so what is Docker? Docker is a platform for developers and sysadmins uh, to build uh, 
package and run your applications using something called containers. Maybe someone heard about this term. So this is the, the thing. The problem that Docker solves is that usually when we develop locally, and submit developers, they like to develop locally and not on like something remotely, which is also no, an option now. And then basically when we want to put some, so in, on our machine, usually things work. There are also memes about this. In our, on our, on our machine, the things, uh, things work. When, when we want to reproduce the same environment in production, this is where the pro pro problems starts. And of course, there are some edge cases. There are uh, where there is Vercel, which is amazing. There are, for example, the blockchain is less used. But let's say, from a developer perspective, and let's say in my whole career, I want to use I want I want to use a different technologies. I want to use I don't know Python backends, uh, something on the front end. I want to use a Postgres database, uh, then some then upright. I want to use maybe I don't know. I don't want to be limited by my, by the technology I use, because I don't know. For example, now I'm learning Rust, uh, you can use Docker with Rust. So something that I really love about Docker is that it's uh, technology agnostic. Technology agnostic, it means that uh, if a new shiny programming language will be released tomorrow, we'll probably have a way to create an application with that programming language that doesn't exist today in a similar way how we did containerized the applications so far. And another huge advantage, and this is mind-blowing, is that it's operating system agnostic. What does it mean? It means that I can, I can build an application on Windows and then the same application on Mac and Linux, and I've done this because when I was working for the European Space Agency, I had the, this Windows machine that I'm now currently using, the MacBook, and I had Linux to work, and it happened to me to deploy things on three different operating systems for real, for different reasons. And, and this was actually possible because we were using Docker containers. Otherwise, I can just let you imagine the problems that you can have uh, just developing the same application from three different operating systems. It, it's basically a nightmare. <laughs> you can just die even just, just to set this up. So this is uh, the long story short of what uh, Docker is. Can we agree on something that Docker is a kind of old technology? Because we're in 2024, Docker has been around for 11 years. 11 years in tech is uh, it's an era, <laughs> basically. So I think this proves how uh, Docker and containerization in general it was a success because we are still here in a podcast in 2024. We are still talking about uh, containerization concepts. Of course, Docker is not the same as it was in 2013, but uh, the core concept, they are the same. So having a place and reproduce the same environment. And I, I'm not joking. I took an example. I don't know how many of you that are listening, you get your code that you wrote six months ago, you try to run it, it doesn't work because I don't know, some dependency has been updated. Some, we, when, I, when I create uh, an example with Docker, I run a code in Docker after five years, works perfectly because basically with docker you create something called the images so it's basically like a snapshot of, of an application and so it's like that you freeze all the dependencies all the versions and of course if you're on your machine if you're coding your your project on a, you know a, a boring saturday night it doesn't it doesn't matter but if you build something in production 
then you start understanding how how important is having versioning reproducing reproducible things because you, do, you don't want to break things uh, in production when you want to update uh, a version and in the european space agency we had this issue a lot so we solved a lot of issues so this is the long story short now i can go on a full uh, Docker crash course uh, audio, but otherwise we can I can stop here and tell you go on my YouTube channel and check the Docker crash course. Yeah, that's probably the the safest bet for sure is to point people to your YouTube to get the next steps in Docker. But just just having you say that it, something popped into my mind. Like currently, the way that I'm developing is I'm using Vercel, and I used to use Docker quite a bit when I was using like DigitalOcean and AWS uh, to 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 test my production environments and to just develop in the same environment that I would do production. I kind like, I haven't had too many issues between like production Vercel and dev server, uh, but I do still have issues. Um, has there ever been any thoughts or maybe this is a thing and I just don't know it exists where like these, these companies like Vercel and Netlify will release their own Docker image that simulates their environment so that you could run yep. the production image. Okay, so uh, let's be clear. Vercel makes money because you you you, know, you use Next.js and you you use Next.js on Vercel, and and this works in a great way. I'm a huge fan of Vercel. I made a video which was uh, uh, dockerizing a Next.js application. Not many people know that you can actually dockerize a Next.js application using an official Docker file on the Vercel uh, GitHub. It's a bit hidden. They will not promote it too much, but you can actually do it. Something that I should double check, but I I think that uh, Vercel actually uses Docker to sell you the things. So Vercel uses Docker under the hood, and they of course they charge you to use it. Smart move, I would say. But uh, this is another proof. I should double check. I don't know if it's an official uh, news, but if this is true. This would prove uh, again that it's a uh, effective technology, and Vercel is using uh, Docker that is, uh, <laughs> let's say, and ma it makes like it creates a whole business. I would say also successful business. Hi, Vercel team. I love, I love uh, the Vercel team, and uh, and that's the thing. I know that you can. So Vercel has no interest into creating this because otherwise you are are be too free to don't use their paid services. I'm totally totally understandable. Uh, so that's it. For other services, I think like WordPress and other services, uh, you can have you can check the official Docker images, and I think that that should be the way to go. So, and just to give an idea, so basically all these images are on Docker, Docker Hub or other Docker registry, and you can use them. Uh, but I think you need to check case by case. I don't know about Netlify if they have a Docker image. Some cool companies, even if they don't use Docker, they give you a way to use Docker locally, maybe Superbase, I'm not sure, or upright. So they give you an, a way to use Docker anyway on your machine, for example, for some tools. And that's it. But again, Docker is a technology. It's not even like usually you don't even use Docker alone. You, you also use this with orchestration tools like Kubernetes, Terraform. I'm not going to the details of all the DevOps tools, but uh, I think we can all agree that it's uh, it's great, and also something that it's really great is that uh, many uh, Docker images, so software, it's also uh, architecture, architectural agnostic. And we know the issues that are, for example, on ARM, 
uh, processors, uh, for example, uh, you can create a Docker image on an ARM processor. And, someone is, and uh, maybe five years ago, it was not an issue because most of the uh, of the CPUs they were like x86, uh, x64. Sorry, the um, no x86. Uh, but um, now there are uh, M1 processors, so they're actually an ARM processor on a laptop, not just on the on the phone. And and Docker also solved this issue, and now we can create and build images on different architectures. So probably can even help in this transition. We don't know if in twenty years all the process all the CPUs will be ARM processor uh, CPUs. But of course, uh, this uh, I mean at high level to use a browser, it's fine. But when you go into developing uh, software, you know that uh, this matters. So. Yes, it's. Uh, I mean, I, I still think that uh, the containerization it was a cool idea, and I want to say something that uh, containerization is not something super new as a concept. There is was something called LLXC before Docker. What Docker did it was something. It was creating a standard because developers want a standard way to do things. So if I create something and I put it somewhere, you can use this in a seamless way without uh, a strange uh, huge effort we, we need something like uh, uh, github and a procedure when i can do the just npm install and then i can work on on the same code that you wrote without reading documentation and other stuff so this is the cool thing that i can if i create something with docker you can run this on your docker machine no matter your operating system my operating system and this works, and this is a huge plus for development. One question I do have with Docker, so I, I haven't used Docker myself, but I used to be a sysadmin uh, back before Docker was around. And we obviously used to use en masse a hypervisor with a whole bunch of virtual machines. And when I hear about Docker and containerization, I, am, I instantly think of virtual machines. Is is it a far cry from that? Like, is it, am, I, am I kind of barking up the wrong tree? Is it the wrong line of thinking? Yeah, so containerization. So if if any, in any Docker uh, videos they made the comparison between uh, virtual machines and uh, and containers. So the concept is very similar. We want to reproduce uh, the same development, uh, the same uh, environment on another machine. The issue is that with a virtual machine, which solved basically solved the issue. There is a virtual machine solved this issue because you had this. Uh, uh, let's say isolated environment, and you can pull an ISO. And there are a couple of things that uh, virtual machines uh, they had uh, compared to containers. The first one is that a virtual machine has to is no matter how much you want to optimize it, it's still an operating system. So even if you make the more lightweight operating system in the world, you remove the UI, you remove the unnecessary libraries. To run, you need to run an operating system. Now, to give you an idea and to make it short, a container is a process. So it's the same as like, uh, I don't know, booting your Windows machine and opening a Chrome tab. You can't compare the time to bootstrap these two things. So it's it's a different concept. So they are more lightweight. They have uh, they are processes that you can actually kill. Cool. For example, a virtual machine has, has something good that uh, it's more isolated compared to a container. Also, fun fact, don't yell at me, uh, Docker fans, Docker Desktop, which is a software to deploy with Docker, runs in a virtual machine. And this seems a paradox, but uh, so this is a proof that virtual machines are still useful 
And of course, so Vercel uses Docker and Docker uses virtual machines. So just to give uh, an idea of how, how fun it is, it is, uh, is this world. And uh, virtual machines have their own uh, um, operating system and also file system. Doc containers they also have to solve the issue of uh, storage, which is solved, solved with volumes. Maybe not, let's not go too much in details. And the thing is that if you if you if you're using if you're using virtual machines, uh, you don't have, or as far as I know, you don't have a real standard procedures. As far as I know, as is admin, every sysadmin they have their own procedure that then let's say that something changes in a virtual machine. You need to change something. There are, maybe you have a make file, maybe you have a txt file when you write all the things that has to be done to reproduce this virtual machine to recreate it. Docker made this more standard using a Docker file. You have a set of instructions, and it's. Uh, I think it's it's uh, it's a more standard way to do to do things. So that's uh, that's from my point of view. Nothing against the virtual machines. Also, I want to. I'm 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 very let's say non opinionated on this. I still think the virtual machines can be useful. For example, when there is a policy of using a virtual machine. For some services in the European Space Agency, even with Docker, we still had to use virtual machines by contract with some uh, pol for politics reasons. So they still have some use cases for sure. They, they're st we're still talking about the virtual machines. It's that for some services, uh, virtual machines are a bit too much. That's it. But if you know how to use virtual machines uh, with Docker, you will be an expert in a matter of weeks and days because uh, everything is easier so if you come from a sysadmin background amazing you can you probably will be uh, great at uh, using things with docker and uh, orchestrators and so on if you want to go that path the performance angle is really interesting to me because i i seem to recall like one time and we had to add like just add 128 gigs of ram just to get some Get to get our Windows cursors and in our VMs to run better, you know, quite quite literally, that was the whole <laughs> that was the whole situation. And so, you know, anything that's more performance and, and anything like that is absolutely, um, absolutely sort of crucial, really, you know, to to kind of get the job done. So, you know, I I I may just I may start experimenting with Docker. You know, it sounds really interesting. It's been a long time since I've mastered any sysadmin stuff. Maybe I'm getting that itch a little bit. So maybe this will be the next uh, step in that in that sysadmin ish, I guess, journey. Awesome. I really appreciate that, Francesco. Uh, I think it's a good overview of what Docker is for people out there. And I think if if someone, again, is interested in learning more, we'll have links to your YouTube channel in the show notes uh, and they can go there and there's probably infinite amounts of Docker content on there that's made and going to be made. But just to shift a little bit from there, I know you've mentioned it a couple of times during this episode, you've been talking about Rust here and there. I'm I'm interested in Rust uh, my relationship with Rust is that like, I really want to learn it for the WebAssembly side. I kind of want to learn it for maybe some Solana smart contract development. There's a lot of, it's a lot, it's a lot of flexibility. Matt and I come from a computer engineering technology background where we learned C as our main programming language. So like our Rust should be just up our alley from at least our edge, our back in our school days uh, college days. And uh, it's something that I've always wanted to dive into. I just haven't had that time to block off a chunk and run and start doing like what you're doing essentially now, which is live streaming every weekend and learning Rust from the ground up. So I, I want to kind of give it to you to like, what are your opinions on the language? What are you learning it for? Uh, and what, what are the next steps you're going to be taking with it? 
Yeah, sure. Of course, uh, I started coding in Rust, I think, uh, around one year ago. But then, of course, with all the conferences, I had to basically stop this uh, for a while. I traveled a bit too much, I think, last year, like 15, 15 travels uh, in a year with a full-time role. And so it, it was a mess. Like for, for, I've been four times in the US, so I had to stop my, my learning uh, journey. It, it was a um, shame, but it is it. Now I'm back in 2024 again. and. Uh, I've been, uh, let's say, first of all, I love the idea of uh, a new programming language because a programming language is something that you don't even know how it will be used. We have an, a clear example is Python. Python has been around for a while, but only at some point it really exploded. Before it was not that used. Like it, uh, I can't remember exactly the year when it exploded. So maybe Rust can be, you know, the Python 2.0 that at some point it becomes like a sort of standard. I made, I just made some videos and yes, I live stream every weekend. I've already done this for three, three weeks. So I basically live stream a lesson and then I put an edited version the, the week, uh, the week uh, after that I published the video today. And first of all, I like, I love the syntax, which can be, can look a bit cumbersome at the beginning. I don't know. After a while, I really like it. I I love the Rust compiler. Rust is a compiled programming language. The Rust compiler, I, I make this analogy with, you know, that uh, grumpy grandma that is really annoying, but she really wants you the best for you. Like she wants you to be good, to be successful. It helps you in any possible way but it's so annoying. So this is exactly like, uh, or it says like, you shouldn't put like a semicolon here. It puts an, a red arrow. We say like, you need to put this here. It's very picky, but uh, this is just, uh, of course, that we'll have fun, some fun. So the compiler is mind blowing. Uh, and I, I, I will not mention other programming languages like Java, but it's, uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, for some programming languages, the compiler is not the best uh, um experience at the, at some point you don't even check the compiler error you just copy paste and go on stack overflow because you that, that's the no, at least this was my normal flow i'm not even trying to read because the stack is so long i just boom copy paste everything stack overflow and i read the first answer this was was my workflow like some years ago this compiler actually reading you can actually solve the issues some most of the times so without even checking the documentation or Stack Overflow or GPT. So this is a huge uh, shift in the developer experience. It also has, a, has an amazing feature that if there is something like a similar command, it also suggests it's similar to to Git sometimes. Like uh, I don't know, I I I put the print ln. It tells me like, hey, maybe you meant uh, print ln, and that's a uh, from a developer perspective, it's uh, it's a lot, I would say. And um, so that's it. And also I like the idea that has a unique management, uh, memory management. And so basically there are basically there are two types of languages in the world. Let's say the low level, like C, and I've been there because I made a C exam at the at the uh, C, uh, during my CS degree. It was a kind of nightmare, but I made it. And when you basically you need to, you need to using alloc, malloc, and all this sort of stuff, uh, you need to allocate memory in a proper way. You can do it. Some people are can do it, but this requires an effort, like I don't know, stopping doing everything else and maybe focusing on one programming language. You can still do it, 
or there are high high level programming languages that most of them they have a sort of what is called a garbage collector. So basically, the memory is solved automatically in quotes, of course. Rust as a unique method is something called has something called ownership. Basically, all the variables they have an owner, and basically it's it's it, it's, it uses a different approach in freeing the memory and handling the memory. You can still handle the memory manually, and that's a great plus, of course, for Rust experts. But you are sort of forced to do things in the right way. And I want to make a prediction here in January 2024. In the future, we'll probably have other programming languages that are sort of low level that will have a similar memory management like we do in Rust. I think that that's like finally we found like you know like the right way to handle the memory in the proper way that it's not a nightmare for developers but still efficient. So that's uh, that's let's say the 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 pitch for for us and uh, and of course yes i'm doing videos i'm seeing many co content creators literally spamming rust videos twice two, two three per day i you know i'm old mike i'm going the slow path but i promise you that by the end of 2024 we'll have 30 40 maybe even 50 uh rust videos on my channel or everything structured with all the everything you need and I see many people are loving this approach, which is a bit uh, a bit every week. So this is especially for people who don't know that maybe they have a life, a family, they already have a job, but they want to still learn, but not with like a huge commitment of two months that maybe a student have, but some people, they just don't have it. I don't have this time. So I prefer to go slow and steady. We'll see at the end of 2024 this approach uh, paid off. Of course, now it seems that it's paying even too well on my YouTube channel, we will see. Rust, honestly, like I, I need to dive into it. And just looking at it now, while you were talking, I kind of did a little bit of research. What I want to do, I think, with it is I, I think there is a way to do Rust for embedded devices now. I believe when I looked at this in 2019, this wasn't possible or it was very difficult. Now there seems to be a way. I think that's how I want to get back into, into first of all, microcontroller uh, programming, and second of all, maybe some low-level Rust programming. It's in, like the, the memory management thing that you just talked about is really interesting to me because C, obviously, that was number one biggest challenge. Every every piece of, every variable, everything that you do has to be managed manually by you, by the programmer. Uh, it, there's no garbage collection. Like, you're the garbage collector there. Um, so I'm really interested to see how Rust makes it a little bit easier to ramp up on that because I've forgotten all that. Having worked in JavaScript, obviously, I don't give a crap about memory at all. I got I got a good grade at that exam, but I can promise that I forgot <laughs> absolutely everything. So it was uh, all the part. And, uh, and yes, I mean, so it's interesting in this part of the memory management. I want to end with something that uh, at some point I decided to learn Rust. So when I, I did I decide to learn Rust, it was for this single reason that you can learn Rust as a backend for web development. So the thing is that uh, do I do I do we need the Rust for, for as a backend for web development? There are already, I don't know, 20, 30 ways to get a backend. The trick is that uh, if I know what an API is and I know what a backend is, and this, I mean I have a whole series with like 15 technologies on my YouTube channel. If I create a web server in Rust, I understand the syntax, I understand the routes, I understand the controllers. So I can do something which is a bit practical. 
and there are also there you can also create CLIs, so you can also create something like that. But creating what we basically know is basically an, an, an API backend. If you are a developer of this podcast, probably you know what I'm talking about. This means they said, okay, so I can actually do something practical, and then of course I'll talk about the different features uh, uh, and stuff. Uh, I have also an Arduino device, a Raspberry device, so at some point I'll get there. The, the, please stop telling me to do microcontrollers because otherwise I'll just go there and do it. By the way, Arduino is an Italian project, of course. Arduino is it's an Italian name. And uh, at some point I'll just go absolutely crazy. For now, I do want this to be <laughs> still there because I know that... Uh, you know, when, when I open I open the Arduino box, it will be over for me. So it's uh, I'm still trying to resist. I don't know for how long I can resist the mic. Yeah, we won't see Francesco for weeks. <laughs> that's that's for sure. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. I kind of I'm kind of worried about the same thing. But again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I think we learned a ton during first of all your journey, the Docker Captain, and now Rust. Um, we're gonna have all the links in the show notes, but. I just want to give the floor to you, Francesco. What are you working on right now? What do you want to share with the audience? What do you want them to know that you're doing and stuff like that? So carpet is yours. Yeah, sure. So I'm very focused on the YouTube channel now. I want to release uh, 250 videos in 2024. So I need to work a lot on this. I have a plan. So no worries. I have a plan and doing live streams and then a short uh, republish the video. So I have the... I, I have a plan for this. My two big uh, focused focus will be Docker and Rust. So at some point, I'll also start also mixing them. So Dockerizing Rust application. This is where things will get very interesting. I also, as I said, uh, I want to really focus on free education. So I highly, I don't know for how long I can keep doing this. Likely for you, if you are listening, I, I already have a salary. I already have a, a full-time role, a six figures job. So I can do everything for free on YouTube and still pay my mortgage and bills. So th this is what I'm focused now. So uh, YouTube channel, making videos, and of course, uh, Twitter when, when, when I have some free time. But uh, mostly I think that I really want to go on the educational side, trying to... I mean, I don't pretend to be, you know, like the greatest one, but I want to, to just focus and release as much uh, content, even for me. So I'll do the Rust series, uh, I'll do more Docker videos. I have uh, some other brick projects. Uh, and of course, the interview series, I also, uh, that's it. And uh, that's, uh, I think that's enough. I already also planned some some conferences already. I'll be at Render ATL and we are developers already. Already confirmed for two conferences plus three, four, five, four, five. So my goal for 2024 is to do everything I did in 2023 plus being more active on YouTube. I'm trying, you know, I released more than 700 videos on YouTube already in around three years and a half, but I started just last month scheduling videos. Now I have like uh, almost eight, nine videos already on my YouTube channel scheduled. I have one for tomorrow. You have no idea how good I sleep now because uh, now I know that I can plan stuff. I use the weekends, the weekends to do this. I never did this before. Before I was just doing a video and publishing, doing a video and publishing, doing a live stream. You know, I'm kind of crazy. I did like a 12 hour live stream, but it was all like uh, without a scheduling, just focused on doing as much as possible. I still do stuff, but it's more planned. So 
if you want and the last thing is that uh, on my youtube channel it's it's a really uh community driven channel so I, I make a poll but not for engagement doesn't make sense on youtube say like what what video would you like to see or rust and solana rust and docker docker html people vote and just execute every time i make a poll my favorite option always fails usually it's the last is the one which gets the the least the least uh, votes i made a poll uh, on sunday like uh, like what would you like a basic video of like i would say maybe i can do an html based course two percent html in the poll so <laughs> so i do have a really um, community driven approach but this helps me because when i release a video usually it gets more traction so that's it uh, mike so as you probably know i'll be focused on making videos this has been my passion for a while almost almost for three years and a half now but yes so that's it and of course the best of luck everyone if you want to reach out uh, doing something uh, propose something on the youtube channel on the other stuff always here and i hope to have some time also for me my family and of course exercising and running because as i said i come from the sports world i don't want to sit on this chair for too long yeah, I was just going to say, I, I hope you have time to for yourself and for everything else. But that sounds amazing for everyone else listening. Obviously, they're going to have a ton to watch, a ton to listen to, and a ton to learn from. So thank you so much, Francesco. Uh, hope to have you back on at some point where we talk about your success as a full-time everything. Rust developer, Docker captain, <laughs> everything. and developer advocate. At the same time, all at the same time. Well, I mean, if thank anyone you. can do it. Yes. Funny. Last thing, I also want to take some time for me. This is why in two months, I'll be in Japan for two weeks with my girlfriend. No conference, no Rust, no Docker. All the videos will be scheduled, so I'll just disappear from YouTube and Twitter. Maybe I'll be more active on Instagram. And uh, so I also say that uh, one of my goals is this to everything I'm already doing and also take some time off because I think this is pretty crucial if you want to play the long-term game and you want to last for retirement even after retirement this is my my strategy thank you so much mike really really loved this episode yeah thanks for coming on well i hope that you enjoyed that interview as much as we did but it is time to end and before we end we would like to thank our three dollar tier patrons tim from the web hacker on the webhacker.com jason from geek life radio via geekliferadio.com Fire Ant Season via FireAntSeason.com, Garrett Segal, Level Up Financial Planning via www.LevelUpFinancialPlanning.com, and Joshua via Silvio.us. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on, and this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.